And today, we're talking about rest in terms of rhythms of rest. Now, that's a logical thing for a musician to think about, don't you suppose? But, but we all have rhythms kind of built into the way we're designed. Your heartbeat is a rhythm, isn't it? We hope it's in rhythm. Uh, you, when you walk, you step in a rhythm so that there are rhythms built into the way we're designed in lots of ways, in, into the way we're created, one of the rhythms that God built in that we need is a rhythm of work and rest. And he set up the pattern. We talked about this last week. He worked, he created for six days, and then he rested on the seventh. And that's really a pattern that he set for us. So we're going to be thinking about rhythms of rest this morning. Now, many of us, Take life too fast. Busy, busy, busy. We're always, uh, ha- it's become a way of life for many Americans. We run from one obligation to another commitment to another activity to a list of tasks that must be completed ASAP, ideally yesterday. Many of us wish we could get off this merry-go-round, and we speak of needing margin or white space or some, some rest in our busy lives. Uh, some of us go in fits and starts. Um, we never really seem to establish a steady, sustainable rhythm in life. We start well, but we run out of steam. We mean well, but our good intentions don't seem to get us as far down the track as we wish. God designed us to need a weekly Sabbath. One day in seven, when we may experience his rest. And that's the focus of our series on rest. Now, when it comes to Sabbath rhythms, I understand that earlier generations had some practices that uh, seemed to me oppressive. I remember hearing about Sabbath rules like staying in your Sunday clothes all day long, uh, or of, because somehow that was deemed more spiritual or rules about children not getting to play outside or engage in other worldly activities. And certainly, a real Christian would never go to a store or a restaurant, thereby causing others to have to work on the Sabbath. Now, that was an earlier generation. I grew up in a Christian family where we didn't practice all of those things, but we had certain ways that that we observed Sabbath, Um, that I got used to, we attended church on Sunday morning. And you're all here on Sunday in church, and that's probably part of your Sabbath rhythm. Uh, I grew up doing that, and we had, uh, after church, typically in my house, we would go home for sometimes a pot roast dinner that my mom cooked. Uh, Later, we went frequently to the smorgasbord uh, for Sunday dinner. My parents typically enjoyed a Sunday afternoon nap. Uh, while us kids played, either outside or inside, depending on the weather. And, and then came Sunday night church and home for sandwiches or out for burgers or ice cream. And then home for TV in the evening. How much of that in my growing up was Sabbath keeping, really? Some of it, maybe? Maybe. I chatted with my daughter this last week. 
she moved to Atlanta a few weeks ago and she'll be there for the year. And so we talked on the phone about her memories of growing up in our house and what we did on Sundays. She remembered one thing that was a tradition, it kind of, a, kind of became a Sabbath tradition. I like the Sunday comics. And when my kids were growing up, uh, we used to uh, sit on the couch or in a, in a comfortable chair and uh, I would read the comics to them. She remembers that. Uh, but she also remembers how after a big dinner and a nice dessert, uh, settling into the couch with the comics, uh, sometimes I would fall asleep in mid-comic. <laughs> Dad, you were reading Prince Valiant, but you stopped. Oh, sorry. I guess I nodded off there for a minute. Um, so earlier generations may have gone too far with legalisms, but I suspect that today the pendulum has swung, <laughs> and maybe this pendulum has swung so far that there's not much that characterizes our Sabbath from any other day of the week. Is that really the way God intended? Is it possible that we need to regain, reclaim, some Sabbath-keeping practices that will help us better honor what God has set up for us as his rest? Are there some rhythms of rest that we need to build into our weekly pattern? If so, what that might they be? Now, our tendency when it comes to establishing rhythms and, and standards for uh, Sabbath is that we tend to make rules. Uh, and rule making seems an easy shortcut, uh, but the reality is that shortcut will probably take you off track. It becomes a straitjacket that defeats the very purpose of Sabbath and substitutes human effort for the God orientation that Sabbath is supposed to be. The outcome invariably, is either pride, well, at least I'm keeping Sabbath better than all those other people, or defeat, can't even seem to keep my own standards. Sabbath rest really is a matter of life and death. Surely it's possible to establish and maintain rhythms of work and rest as God intended, yet without resorting to legalism. Can you say amen to that? Last Sunday, Pastor, Pastor Ed introduced our three-week series on rest. We planned to do this series a long time ago before we really saw that the book of Exodus introduces the, the, uh, the pattern, the, the theme very well with rest highlighted in the book of Exodus and even the book of Exodus finishing by coming, returning to that idea of Sabbath as a key theme of that book. You may remember that last week, Pastor Ed reviewed for us some passages from Exodus that first tie Sabbath to God the Creator, who worked for six days and rested on the seventh. And then second, we also saw a second theme that Exodus picked up on, that Sabbath is supposed to be a weekly reminder of how God has delivered his people. 
So those are two ideas of rest that we, we saw clearly in the scripture last week in the book of Exodus. Now this week, I'd like to take you a little farther into the scriptures because the New Testament has some important things to show us about Sabbath too. Seems like an Old Testament idea, but it really is a very important New Testament theme too. So I'd like to invite you to turn Uh, You can use the screen if you want, but the print is small. But Hebrews chapter 4 is where I'd like to invite you to start today. And let's see if we can discover some scriptural principles from the New Testament especially that would give us some clues, some direction, some help in establishing Sabbath rhythms that will work today. Hebrews chapter 4 is where I'd like to start with you. God's promise of entering rest still stands. Isn't that interesting? The very first thing the writer of Hebrews says refers back to the Old Testament, but says God's promise of entering rest still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. For this Good news that God has prepared this rest has been announced to us just as it was to them, that is, the Jews. But it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God, for only we who believe can enter his rest. As for the others, God said, in my anger I took an oath, they will never enter my place of rest even though this rest has been ready since, the, since he made the world. We know it is ready because of the place in the scriptures where it mentions the seventh day. On the seventh day, God rested from all his work. But in the other passage, God said, they will never enter my place of rest. So, God's rest is there for people to enter, But those who first heard this good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. So God said another time for announcing his rest, and that time is today. God announced this through David much later in the words already quoted. Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Now, if Joshua had succeeded in giving them, the Jews, this rest... God would have spoken about, would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. So there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. So let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey, God, as the people of Israel did, we will fall. Do you catch that? A key point of this passage in Hebrews is this. We'll put it on the screen. You can miss it. Sabbath rest is something that's not automatic. You can miss it, just like earlier generations have. But I want to read on because you don't have to miss it. Verse 12. For the word of God is alive and powerful. 
It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. Verse 14, so then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet without sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of grace, to the throne of his mercy. We will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. So two things the scriptures give as ways of entering into God's rest. One is the word of God, this powerful, sharp, two-edged sword that divides and cuts and, and exposes things is one of the things that God has given us as a means of entering his rest. The other is Jesus, our high priest, who understands what it is to be human because he experienced it all and yet without sin. Jesus, our high priest, will help us figure out how to enter God's rest. That leads us to the next place I'd like to go in the scriptures. Let's look at the example and teaching of Jesus about Sabbath. You know, he said quite a lot about it. He said a lot about Sabbath, and he did a lot on Sabbath. I'd like to take you to the book of Mark. And here's one of many passages that we could look at, but Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 23, introduces a section where Jesus deals with Sabbath very directly. Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 23. One Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? So rules about food and eating have a long tradition. <laughs> Jesus said to them, haven't you ever read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God during the days when Abiathar was priest and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. He also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Wow, that's powerful teaching. Chapter 3, Jesus went into the synagogue again and noticed a man with a deformed hand. Since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, come and stand in front of everyone. Then he turned to his critics and said, does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath? Or is it a day for doing evil? 
is this a day to save life or to destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. He looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. Then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. At once the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how they could kill Jesus. It's a picture of what rule making can do to a good gift that God intends to give us. You know, this wasn't the only time Jesus healed on the Sabbath. In fact, I, I did a, a survey and I discovered on another Sabbath day, he healed, Jesus healed a man possessed by a demon. And another Sabbath day, he healed a woman bent over and unable to stand up straight. And one Sabbath, he healed a man with an abnormal swelling. Another Sabbath, he healed a disabled man who couldn't get into the pool. And on another Sabbath, he healed a, a man who had blind, been blind from his birth. In fact, it appears Jesus did more healing miracles on the Sabbath than on any other day of the week. Isn't that interesting? On the negative side, Jesus warns us about the dangers of rulemaking and legalism. That seems to be a point of his teaching from what we've read especially when it comes to Sabbath keeping. But there is a positive, inviting aspect to Jesus' teaching that draws us to him also. I love these verses in Matthew chapter 11. Matthew eleven twenty-eight and 29, Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you, here it is, Rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. I love that. Jesus is so inviting. I read a commentator who wrote, as Jesus looks on a wandering humanity, his solution is, come to me. Not come to a set of teachings, although Jesus does call us to pay attention to that as well. Not come to church, although Jesus calls us to be part of a community of faith. Not come to your psychologist, although uh, God can use gifted counselors. Not come to a vacation, Although an evaluation of our tendencies to be workaholics and a reassessment of our life priorities may be in order, no, Jesus says, come to me. I love that. Well, if looking to the word and following the lead of Jesus, our high priest, who shows us a better way than the way of the Pharisees, if those are some keys to finding Sabbath rhythms, then what's, what do we do with all of that? I'd like to get practical. But you know, as soon as I begin to suggest some ideas for 
new establishing rhythms of Sabbath keeping, it can so quickly become another new set of rules. I don't want to go there. So I'd like to suggest something else, some guidelines that I find, found helpful, and maybe you will too. I've been reading uh, one of my favorite writers, Mark Buchanan. He's a pastor in Vancouver, BC, and he wrote a book called The Rest of God. And he gives two, two concepts, to which I'd like to add a third, that help provide some structure and some guidelines in our search for finding Sabbath rhythms that will serve us well and allow us to enter into the rest that God has for us. Number one, Pastor Buchanan says, cease from that which is necessary. In other words, stop doing all the things you ought to do. Uh, set aside the have-tos and turn to the get-tos. An example, shall I chop wood on the Sabbath? Well, is it necessary? If it is something that's an ought to, then it's probably best to leave it for another day. On the other hand, if it's a get to, something that reinvigorates and energizes you, then it may be a very good Sabbath practice for you. You and I might handle various tasks like writing emails or mowing grass or buying vegetables differently. But the first principle to look at is to cease from that which is necessary. Here's a second one. Embrace that which gives life. Jesus did that, didn't he? He healed the man who was crippled and he gave him a new lease on life. So that's a, that's a guideline, a principle for us too, to look for ways to heal, to feed, to rescue the things that give life. Another way to think about it is just as God created and then stopped creating, he came to a time of recreating in a sense. If we can look at not to create but to be recreated, what will restore in us life and joy? I'd like to add one more guideline for finding Sabbath rhythms. Pursue God. This, after all, is the main point of our Sabbath rhythm. Sabbath helps deliver us from self-reliance in favor of God-reliance. And unless we stop our busy ways long enough to listen, we'll probably never hear from God. I love the story of Samuel. Samuel grew up in the tabernacle. He was an apprentice to Eli the priest. So in his role from a young child, he learned the ways of the priesthood, how to sacrifice animals, how to mix up ingredients to make the incense for the ta tabernacle. But he never, at least in his early years, he didn't really know God until something happened. One night, Samuel was in bed and he heard a voice. 
He thought it was Eli the priest calling him, so he went to Eli and said, Did you called? Eli said, No, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. Samuel heard the voice again, went back to Eli. Three times this happened. Samuel heard a, heard a voice, he went to Eli. Eli said, no, it wasn't me, go back to bed. After three times though, Eli began to think, well, what is it that he's hearing? So Eli told Samuel, this time, if you hear the voice again, say this, speak, Lord, because I'm listening. Samuel did that. And God downloaded an amazing message full of challenging and hard things. That became for Samuel the beginning of an, a lifetime of hearing from God. I don't think hearing from God was only for Samuel. I suspect every one of us could hear God's voice more often than we do if we could stop and listen a little more often. So pursuing God, learning to know him is the point of our Sabbath rhythms. I have one more story that I love that I'd like to share with you. When I was when my kids were growing up, I used to read the Sunday comics to them, but I also read the Chronicles of Narnia. Uh-oh, I lost my bookmark. I hope I can find it. I love the Chronicles of Narnia and used to read them with my kids. And there's a story, here it is. Uh, there's a story from, I think it's the third book or something like that, Prince Caspian. I don't know if you've read it, if you know that story, but I love this story. Um, in Prince Caspian, the four children who originally visited Narnia, Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy, they all find themselves back in Narnia uh, after they've been away for a long absence. And Aslan, the great lion and king, he's nowhere to be seen. Lucy, who's the youngest of the children, really aches to see him. And one night, she wakes up to hear a great stirring in the forest and hears a voice calling her. While the other children are asleep, she ventures forth through the woods into a clearing and here's what happens. A circle of grass, smooth as a lawn, met her eyes with dark trees dancing all around it and then, oh joy, for he was there. The huge lion, shining white in the moonlight, with his large black shadow underneath him. But for the moment of, but for the movement of his tail, he might have been a stone lion, but Lucy never thought of that. She never stopped to think whether he was a friendly lion or not. She rushed to him. She felt her heart would burst if she lost a moment. And the next thing she knew, she was kissing him and putting her arms as far around his neck as she could and burying her face in the, in the beautiful, rich silkiness of his mane. Aslan, dear Aslan, dear Aslan, sobbed Lucy, at last! The great beast rolled over on his side so that Lucy fell half sitting and half lying between his front paws. He bent forward and just touched her nose with his tongue. His warm breath 
came all around her. She gazed up into his large, wise face. Welcome, child, he said. Aslan, said Lucy, you're bigger. That is because you are older, little one, answered he. Not because you are? I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. I love that. Isn't that how it may be for us? That every year, as we go, grow to know God more, we can find him bigger? I want that, don't you? Let me ask you to take a moment right now to think about your own Sabbath rhythms. Are there things that you're doing typically as part of your Sunday, for most of us, Sunday rhythms that need to be set aside to leave some space for knowing God better? Or are there some things that you could do that would give life to you? Not the have-tos, but the want-tos. Are there some ways you could enjoy God? Let's ask about that for a moment. Would you pray with me? I'm going to speak a little more, so I'm not done yet, Ellie <laughs> and Joey. But Lord, we want to ask for your counsel. Holy Spirit, would you lead each of us in the ways that we should go? We don't want to fall into old Pharisee patterns of legalisms that kill, but we do want to find rhythms that will feed and give life. Would you show us what things, even necessary things, that we need to set aside and not do? Would you also lead us into some life-giving things that we can embrace that would enhance our day, our Sabbath, and our relationship with you? And will you help us to do that which will let us get to know you so that you become bigger in our lives. Show us what you have in mind for each one of us, Lord. Thank you for leading us. Thank you for your good gift of rest. Amen. Now, uh, one more thing. We've been talking about rest in terms of um, rhythms of rest that we find as individuals. But it's our belief that we can find real rest as a corporate group too. That maybe there's wisdom in putting a Sabbath rhythm into our corporate life, which is why we're calling OCEC to set aside this, this new school year um, just beginning, as a, as a rest from many of the things that we've come to rely on, our particular programs and procedures as a church. The weekly gatherings of worship and spiritual growth will keep, of course. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 warns us against uh, stopping meeting together. We don't want to do that. But there are many programs and activities that have become traditions 
and we believe it might be time to, and important, maybe even necessary, for us to set aside those things for a time as a spiritual discipline that we hope will help us give more attention to God and to one another. I remember, I, I, I've been here a long time. <laughs> I, will, I remember staff-level discussions over the course of several years that make, make, make me think that maybe this Sabbath year might be overdue for us. Do some of you remember Pastor Werner? This goes back a few years. I remember Pastor Werner speaking of OCEC as being like a machine. <laughs> and he used that term with affection and also a little bit of weariness. And I remember times in staff meetings with Pastor Tom, too, where we would sometimes just wish we could stop everything for a little while so that we could maybe have some fresh starts. But it didn't seem possible. There you go. Well, earlier this year, Pastor Ed uh, introduced our staff to the book, The Trellis and the Vine. We read that together, and, and it reminded us again of the, the value, the necessity of staying well connected to the vine, and also of the trellis work, those things that we do as a church that help support the vine work. But sometimes the trellis gets more time and attention that starts to detract from the vine work. We also read a book called Simple Church that has done some research of what's happening in churches today. And one of the outcomes of this research is to discover that churches that have a simple discipleship-making focus are tending to thrive, and churches with a more diverse program approach are not thriving. And we've come to think that maybe some of our programs, even the ones that we love, may be getting in the way of the more important things. So we've come to the conclusion that OCEC may well benefit from a break, a year to set aside some of the Martha activity in order to give more time to Mary attentiveness. It's risky. We know it is. You may not like it. And you may complain. Truth is, we may not like it because we love our programs too. But we believe this is a, worth doing and may have profound and kingdom-building benefit for our church. God called his people to one day a week of Sabbath rest, one year in seven as a Sabbath year, and one year in 50, as a year of jubilee, a sort of reset to everything. We believe it's time for OCEC to have a sabbatical year. Will you join us in setting aside some of our usual work, embracing some life-giving breathing room, and pursuing God? Who knows what might, God might say to us, his people, corporately, his bride, his flock, his people, if we'll only stop long enough to listen. The Westminster Confession is an ancient formulation of what's most important spiritually. And the beginning of the Westminster Confession says, 
the chief end of man, way of saying the most important role for all humans, the chief end of man is to glorify God, and I love this part, and to enjoy Him forever. To enjoy Him. That's what Sabbath is supposed to be all about, to enjoy God. Isn't that good? Isn't that what you want? It's what I want. Let's do that, shall we? Amen.